Right, again, good morning, everybody. And uh, just to highlight what Lindsay said right there, uh, high schooler brought us snacks this morning. We had another student playing drums, Noah, another student. Don't want to embarrass her, but she's running sound right now. And uh, the students also had a game night this past Friday, and I checked in with a couple of them, and they said it was super fun. So uh, just stoked about what's happening across our church. And uh, before we get into our sermon time, I do want to highlight a couple of uh, things. Um, In case you didn't see, a few days ago in our newsletter, we provided a financial update and it included a couple of pieces of great news that if you didn't know, I want to make sure and pass on. We first announced uh, a few weeks ago, in case you weren't here, that we did reach our year in giving goal that we had set, which is so great. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, it was a it was a big goal for our congregation, and just thank you all uh, for for helping with that. And then the second piece was Holy Trinity Church, which is a, a local Ang- Anglican congregation, has started to meet at our Palo Alto campus as of last week, and they're entering into a two year agreement with us with us, which is just really exciting. It's a way that we can use our space. Uh, for ministry and for worship going forward. So two pieces of great news. Uh, if you, yeah, okay, you get a lot of clapping. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and so we're going to try to provide a monthly financial update like that uh, in our newsletter. So if you're not part of our newsletter, you can go to those words on the screen and you can be a part of that, okay? All right, so now we are in week four of the series we've been calling Incarnational, where we've been talking about This reality that Jesus put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is a perfect example of what we want to be as a church community. Uh, We want to embody Jesus. We want to be on mission everywhere we go. And so today we want to talk about being on mission, but specifically beyond the places and the people that look like us and act like us and behave like us. So someone this this week was telling me it's time to start signing up your kids for summer camps. I didn't know this. Our kids are too uh, too young for that right now. But it made me think about my past with summer camps. I don't know if you grew up doing camps. I went to a lot of them. But when I was a freshman in high school, I, t- I attended a sports camp, and I didn't know anybody. And the first day, for whatever reason, they had to start the camp with a meal and as I sat down, what I realized is everybody else, uh, were, they were from bigger towns and schools, and they knew each other. And so the camp started with a meal. I sat down in the cafeteria, and I looked around, and hundreds of kids chose other tables with kids they knew. And so for three days straight, I sat by myself for all of these meals. And depending on your empathy level, some of you are like, oh, that's so hard. I can't imagine. And others of you are like, that's just life, man. Get over it. These things happen. Uh, And for those of you that say that, that's hurtful. It's me. (laughs) And some of you, you've been in that situation before, right? Where you're you're hearing kids laugh and goof off around you. And a lot was happening with me. Like externally, I was sort of losing my appetite. I pretended not to show interest, sort of looked down at my food. Occasionally, though, I'd pop up my head to see if anybody was looking for a table, try to catch their eyes. Externally, a lot was going on. But then internally, a lot was happening. I felt the fear of sort of being alone, 
felt the feeling of isolation, being left out. I probably couldn't have named it at that age, but if I would have dug down deep enough, there would have been a feeling of like sort of I'm less than or a lack of, a lack of value. Something might be wrong with me. And that's, that's the thing when you have a moment like this of feeling left out or snubbed. There's the external separation, but the bigger issue is what's happening internally in our hearts. And this is a minor example. I'm sure many of you in this room have had more life-impacting examples when you felt left out or snubbed. Maybe even in your mind right now, there is a vivid feeling internally as you might remember a moment when someone has judged you, discarded you, avoided you. Today, I want to start with this concept because this concept is vital to what it means to be a missional church. A phrase that's sometimes used in our culture for this is the phrase on the margins. And this phrase can be traced back to the 1960s. It was used uh, for minorities being marginalized in society. But the literal concept comes uh, from books and paper. Uh, The use of margins can be traced back all the way to Egyptians and papyrus. And I know this because I looked it up on the internet this week. (laughs) Margins were used to indicate the end of a scroll, but then it continued as they printed books. And now we use it digitally just to make sure you're not printing too wide. Uh, You're staying in the margins. So let's use this literal margin to help us understand figurative margins. We have a, a paper like this. In the margins, we could place things that are like normalized or deemed acceptable by society standards. Uh, in these margins in America, Silicon Valley, there, there could be things like the housing you have, what kind of job, a big one in Silicon Valley is education, the language you speak, ethnicity, how much money you have. In this area, these are the things that are deemed like majority or average So if you are different in one or more of these areas, you are on the margins of society. You feel pushed out to the edge, potentially, maybe left out. And so when we talk about being a missional church, this piece is so, so important. Doing church and community is easier in the margins with people that look and think like me. But the mission of God has never been just for the insider. It's always been a mission and message that travels to the margins of society and humanity. So today we're going to look at an example of this in the book of Luke in chapter 5. And so we see this in chapter 5, verse 12. Once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. I don't want to take a pause this morning and place ourselves in this text. Sometimes we skim past a text like this and we miss the significance. So this morning, if you're willing, if you'll humor me, I want to invite you to close your eyes with me this morning. And let's imagine us in this scene together. Leprosy referred to various kinds of skin diseases. It was required by Jewish law for a leprous person to wear torn clothing, have disheveled hair, and either live alone or with other lepers. When another person approached, the leper was supposed to cover their lip and call out, unclean, unclean. So I want you to just put yourself in the place of this leprous person. And imagine there's this external reality 
Maybe you can feel the pain of sores on your skin. Maybe you can notice your hair is dirty and disheveled, your clothes dirty. It's probably a little bit of a stench, maybe a smell. And then see the eyes of those who walk by you. Maybe see them cross to the other side of the street. See them look at you, but quickly look away. That's external. Now internal, just imagine, imagine what that feels like inside. Imagine what it feels like for no one to legally even go near you. And often in these days, sicknesses were attributed to sin. So imagine how it feels to be disregarded and assumed it was your fault or your family's fault. So internally, what would you be feeling in regards to human dignity or value? And then imagine Jesus walks towards you, the one you've heard about. See the way he looks in your eyes. He doesn't look away. And so you beg him, you believe maybe he can heal you. And then imagine the shock. Imagine your heart fluttering as he walks towards you. And he comes closer, closer than anyone has in a long time. And this holy man reaches out his hand and he does the unthinkable and he touches you. Your sore ridden skin. He sees you. He crosses lines to touch you. But imagine the internal feeling of value and worth. So you can open your eyes now. This is the story that Luke tells us. When he saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him. and said, I do choose be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he ordered him to tell no one, go, he said, and show yourself to the priest. And as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of their diseases. And then a little bonus from what we talked about last week. Jesus doesn't just go and do. He sits and listens. He would withdraw to deserted places and pray. It's a story many of us have heard before, but we often miss how radical it was. In the moment, Jesus exposes himself to the disease. He makes himself ritually unclean. The leprous person is far out on the margins of society, and Jesus says this mission of restoration, restoration isn't just for the religious or the righteous or the ones who know the right things or look the normal way. He says, you are my beloved. You are invaluable. Uh, there's this critically acclaimed show called Succession that was on HBO. I'm not going to do a raise of hands because I don't want you to feel guilty for watching it. That's your in church. I'm just kidding. I watch it too. Uh, it's a show that examines this incredibly wealthy family, sort of the 1% kind of family. At multiple times in the show, uh, there are some scandals that take place in the company, and uh, w uh, they're, they're responsible for this, their whole family. And one time there's a service worker who dies. Another time some escorts are thrown off a boat. And when something like this happens, they have a phrase that reminds everybody in the company and family not to worry too much uh, because this phrase, no, uh, NRPI, which means no real person involved. 
No real person. If it was a person who had status or money, it would be a problem, but no real person involved. It sounds extreme, but this can be reality, right? People on the margins can be looked over by society, people averting their gaze or avoiding uh, the problems because the understanding is it's a person that matters less. And before I blame society and I blame others, I have to look deep in my heart and I have to say, are there groups of people, are there appearances, are there beliefs that make me think deep within no real person involved, less than, less valuable, less worthy? Are there people like that for you? Maybe you see them around town. Maybe you hear their perspective. You might not even consciously think it, but deep within you think of them as maybe having less value. In the past two weeks, we looked at the greatest commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about how Luke had these back-to-back stories that illustrate this commandment. And isn't it fascinating who he uses in these stories? First, in the first story we looked at, the hero of the neighboring story is a Samaritan. And talk about someone on the margins. Samaritans were despised and considered pagan and unclean, so much so that people would go out of their way not to walk through Samaria. And Jesus defies rules and barriers by saying, this man, he's the hero, a model for neighboring. And then second, we see a vision of what it means to be a disciple. But like we talked about last week, this vision defies barriers and rules. Being a disciple was a role of a man in this society. The role of the woman would have been what Martha is doing. But Jesus highlights and lifts up Mary a gender on the margins at the time. So we can go back to our missional map that we've been looking at this whole series. We see this beautiful reality. Jesus continues with the mission that began in the beginning. Every human made in the image of God. Every human has value and dignity and worth. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, not just to people who looked and acted like him, but to all people, to the farthest edges of society. So to be on mission is to get out of our bubble, to go beyond our comforts and embrace and touch those on the edges of society. So we go back to our paper and our margins. I wrote down um, just interesting to think about what are some of the societal or cultural standards here in our local area. Obviously, these are generalizations, stereotypes, so it's not accurate for everyone. You could probably think of some other ones, but these are just a few I came up with. Uh, this, this highly educated piece of our area, it's not everybody here, but Stanford's down the road. Many folks have master's degrees. Uh, just last week, I was talking to a neighbor in my area, and he was confessing this reality filling out a place because he didn't go to college. He works a construction job. And he just, he told me, he's like, I never tell people about that because I feel uncomfortable. Uh, Along with education, that can lead to jobs and money and wealth. Again, it's not everybody, but a lot of our area works in tech and engineering. 
there's a relational status. There's an image in suburbs like ours of getting married and having 2.5 kids and a dog. <laughs> uh, English speaking is most common here. Some kind of housing. Maybe it's not owning a house because that's impossible in the Bay Area. <laughs> Uh, being progressive, politically driven, doing a lot of activities constantly. Again, these are generalizations. I get it. It's not true for all of us. But just showing us gives an example. So here's the deal. If you are not these, you can feel like you are on the margins of society. If you have a different kind of job, if you are unhoused, I was thinking about our unhoused folks this morning when the wind and the rain was coming down. You speak a different language or a different ethnicity than the majority, different political persuasion, different relational status, sexuality, maybe you have a disability, so, so many more that we can name. But there are people in this room, there are people in our proximity who can feel like they are on the margins. There are people in our neighborhood across the street from us, but we're just not aware of it. We don't open our eyes. Maybe locally, maybe at our local Safeway or bus stop, and others are here in our local suburbs that we just often drive past. And the reality, as long as there are collections of people, there will always be people who are pushed to the margins. And a BO mission is to go share this kingdom of dignity, mutuality, and love to all people, regardless of their place in society. So here in a second, we're going to hear from one of, one of our uh, community members, some of the ways that, that they are serving in this way. Uh, but first, before we talk to him, I, I want to briefly talk about what are the barriers? Why is it so hard to love and serve in this way? The first barrier is this. It's simply uncomfortable. It's more comfortable to do life with people that are like you. Am I right? Uh, for example, there's this weird phenomenon. Nobody knows about it, but I'm a part of this club. It's very obscure and strange. It's the Oklahoma Club. And we, we don't have cards or meetings, uh, but it's a real thing. Uh, it started when I lived in Chicago, and it's continued in the Bay Area. And it happened just last week. Lori and I met a couple at a at a neighborhood party who were from Oklahoma, and there's just like this instant connection that happens for whatever reason. My accent my accent starts drifting a little southern, <laughs> and we start talking about college football or tornadoes, <laughs> or we talk about California does not know how to make biscuits and gravy. Or how Mexican restaurants don't have queso like Tex-Mex restaurants do. And it's funny. It's silly. Uh, but honestly, it's just really comfortable, you know, because usually these are white folks about my age who have an appreciation for the country, but they've migrated for specific reasons. So we just have a lot in common. It's, it's easy to do life with people that are different than ourselves. I know this is obvious, but it's harder it's less comfortable. Different experiences, languages, values. It's a barrier because it takes work. It takes effort. But if we want to be a church community that is on mission, we have to be willing to wade into the discomfort. 
to be, be used to uncomfortable times. Another barrier is this, uh, serving on the margins can, can be messy. Uh, years ago, as a part of church where we were, uh, we developed some great relationships with some unhoused folks, and one of them helped us start a weekly Bible study. And it was a really cool ministry. We would provide transportation and coffee and food, uh, but we bumped up in, into some issues because this was a church where most people dressed up and they knew the correct ways to talk and act. But the folks we were bringing in, they were coming off the street. Uh, they didn't really have the time to get dressed up or a shower to clean up in. And the messiest part was that some of them had no filters on their language. And so nice, sweet, older ladies would be walking by and they'd hear someone yell out some choice language that would just make their hair stand up. Uh, it can be messy, right? Cross-cultural bar barriers and lines. And it was messy for Jesus. People chastised him and judged him because he was a rabbi hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. It wasn't always neat and tidy. And the last barrier is this, it can feel overwhelming when we open our eyes to the issues and problems globally or locally. It can just feel so overwhelming. There's so much to be done. So much help is needed. Well, like, where do I even start? Does my time matter? Does my money, does my effort even matter? And a couple of important things here. The first is us to look back at the story of Jesus with the leper and remember this simple reality we are not anyone's savior. We are not the savior. Jesus is. Sometimes out of really good intentions, we can feel like we need to try and solve and fix everything. But I know this reality about you and me. We're just not that good. <laughs> we are finite. We don't have infinite power or time. We don't have a level of wisdom to even know always what is the best thing to help. And then the second thing is, this is where we get back to human dignity and the internal reality. If we go back to my sports camp, around day three, something happened that, uh, even though it's minor compared to some of the things we mentioned, uh, I still remember to this day. I was in line, and another boy came up to me before I went to sit at this table, and he simply said, you want to sit with us? And I was a freshman boy, and so externally I tried to play it cool. Like, yeah, I guess, if that's what you want. <laughs> I can do that. But internally, right, I felt the warmth and comfort that can only come when you feel seen and valued. All it took was one person reaching out their hand and extending it. We can't be anyone's savior. We can't fix everything, but we can build relationships and connection. We can risk the discomfort to touch and embrace and enter into relationships. We can wade into the messiness to help people know that they are valued and seen. So right now I'm going to invite up uh, Fred. Can we give it up for Fred Martinez, everybody? Let me take this right here. So Fred, along with a, a, a group of others in our community, has found a way to serve in this way. And so just thought, uh, like the past few weeks, we could ask him a few questions. So you want to tell everybody your name, how you got involved at Highway? Yeah, definitely. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Fred Martinez. 
And I've been, oh, my family and I, uh, we've been with Highway for over 20 years. Uh, I think we've been to every campus um, <laughs> and location. <laughs> um, honestly, we started out at Pali High. We went down to San Jose, back here to Palo Alto, and then, and then finally here. So um, long time and a great community, obviously, that, that we've been uh, happy to be a part of. Yeah, nice, man. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Buena Vista, how you got involved there, and a little bit about the food in- insecurity? Yeah, so Jake reached out. Uh, my wife, Teresa, actually works for Second Harvest uh, Silicon Valley. Um, so they provide um, you know lots of meals to these folks uh, that Adam's been referring to, those folks on the margin, the folks who need some help with food insecurity. Um, and she does fundraising for them. So it's kind of a natural fit for us to, to uh, you know help out when this opportunity came up. Uh, Buena Vista is actually a place that uh, we've been familiar with. Uh, if you go, it's in Palo Alto. It's right kind of behind uh, El Camino Real, sort of in between uh, Mountain View and Palo Alto there. So it's a mobile home park. Um, and so not something that you typically see in Palo Alto, right? It's kind of uh, surrounded by a lot of million dollar houses. Uh, but the folks there uh, have been living there for a long time. And it's a nice little community of, of people there. Um, obviously, you know, sort of marginalized in, in, in that sense, especially when you think about the community that, that they are surrounded by there. Um, and it's, there's a history there with, you know, some, some, uh, some need for help uh, throughout the years um, and changes that they want to make to it to help it. So. Nice. Thanks, man. And so you serve every month. And I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit about what you've learned, ways that you have been able to see things uh, through their eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, it's been, you know, great. We, we go uh, two times a week or two times a month, rather, um, a different group uh, from here will go out and serve. And basically we get food from City Team, uh, which is an organization that provides the food uh, to us. They bring a truckload. Um, usually about 25 to 30 uh, different boxes and meals um, for for the folks there. Um, and so we set that all up. There's some food handling stuff that goes on. Um, and then we, um, you know, the folks come from a certain uh, designated time and we give out these boxes of food to them. And, um, you know, they're registered and all that stuff. But it's really been, for, for me, I think the, the, the coolest part about it has been seeing their community um, and how they all kind of look out for each other. Um, there's one woman who I've never actually seen, uh, but I've heard her reference to by four or five different people. I think she has cancer. She can't get out of her own um, you know, trailer to come and get her food. But different people along the time that we've been going out there have come at different times and said, hey, I want to take food for her. Can you? So she's registered, and they, and they, they take the food for her. That to me, you know, says so much about the folks that we serve, um, and also just talking about, you know, the working poor, so to speak. I mean, there's a lot of folks that come after their shifts at work, um, and you know, the people with, you know, there's a guy that's all that I always see with a Hobie shirt, and you know, talk to him about that, right? Because, you know, we like to go to breakfast at Hobie. <laughs> one of the guys that's probably making our meals, uh, but he, obviously, despite the fact that he's working, is still in need. So, yeah. you know, something to think about on that end. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, last question, just something I'm trying to learn personally, but for all of us in our community, just any any last words on how we can get outside of our bubbles and serve folks? Yeah, so Teresa shared with me um, the organization Second Harvest actually serves one in six people in Santa Clara and Santa, uh, San Mateo counties, uh, and that's kind of mind-blowing, right? Um, you know, that, that number of folks, and 
the pandemic, you know, obviously because we've enhanced that, a lot of folks lost their jobs because of that. Uh, and so we like to think, oh, the pandemic's over now. Well, it's actually, you know, the, the repercussions from that and people still struggling to get ahead or get, get back to where they were from before, it's still there. Um, so, you know, I think that's still very much a need. So anything that you can do to, um, you know, second harvest takes volunteers. Um, I know we've done that work before and, you know, it's given up maybe a, a day or two to go and help with that. Um, you know, certainly we can always use the help uh, with this uh, outreach here. But I think it's just, yeah, getting comfortable going out and, and knowing uh, that you're going to make a difference in someone else's life. You know, we, I was thinking about it, the length of time that we've been at Highway, we kind of had always done work internally for the church um, and, and volunteered in that way. This is kind of the first time we've done a, a sustained sort of outreach ourselves. So, you know, for me, it was a, a different, a step in a different direction, but really enjoyable and really like doing that. So, Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Fred. Right, Can thanks. we give it up for Fred, everybody? So one extremely practical way that we can help with this Buena Vista uh, group is they have put together a list of some special items that sort of go beyond typical food pantry items. And I uh, thought it'd be cool for around February 14th, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, uh, to be able to have a little bit of a special offering. And so we're going to have a donation drive. So like this week, you can do something uh, to help this group. Uh, we are going to try to collect some items like cooking oil, pancake mix and maple syrup, butter, some Tide Pods. There's a full list on our website, and we're asking you to bring it back next Sunday, okay? That'll be the Sunday before Valentine's Day. So if you want to participate in that, just go to our website. You'll find a full list of this kind of stuff, and we will uh, have a box where you can drop it off uh, next week, okay? Let's all uh, pray together, and then we'll finish our time of worship. And Jesus, thank you for this reminder this morning. I thank you for uh, Fred and uh, Teresa and all the other members of this group that's serving through our community, but to folks that uh, are, un are looking for uh, just a, a community to help. And God, we would ask you to open our eyes. So often we walk through life uh, closed off because we're focused on our own stuff. And I pray that this community, that all of us, we would truly to take in this desire to be on mission everywhere we go, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, to people on the margins. So Jesus, we can only do this with your power and your strength. So uh, would you allow your Holy Spirit to work through this community? It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.